Claire Edwards from Brainsmart People Development, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership, a series of conversations, insights, and inspirations with leaders who are real, raw, and authentic. Today, I bring you a conversation that is jam-packed with wisdom from lived experience and deep reflections. And my guest in conversation is Danielle Ballantyne, CEO of Your Side Australia. Our topic of conversation, a much needed skill in leadership, and that's coaching. Enjoy. I met this month's guest when we both turned up early at an event and sat next to each other. And immediately our conversation went to a level of depth and, and mutual understanding usually reserved for people who've known each other for a fair bit longer. Daniel Ballantyne is the CEO of Your Side, a not-for-profit organisation specialising in providing total care for vulnerable Australians, and in particular the elderly and disabled. There were many topics that we could have chosen for this podcast, and many we actually discussed. But we landed on one that we both believe can make a significant difference to the quality of experience of those who leaders lead and to leaders themselves. And that is the topic of coaching in leadership. Danielle, a very warm welcome to Authentic Leadership. Thank you, Claire. It's great to be here. Thank you. So I quite often in in my research, I'll do a little bit of stalking on LinkedIn. And um, I I, I was looking at your career journey and there's definitely um, a theme there around care. So before we sort of delve into the topic of coaching, I'd love to hear more about how you made the career choices that you did and what was your motivation? What was it that drove you? Um, great, great question and sort of had to like make me think back to when I was a, I actually went back right to when I was a child, you know, when growing up people always ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And um, uh-huh. except for this very short period in my life where I thought I wanted to be a truck driver, um, I it was always something to do with caring or helping. So there were options, you know, being a counsellor or a psychologist or a doctor or um or something to that effect was always my response. And I think probably what sits deep down to wanting to do those things is, and, and I still say to my staff today, my team today, is I, I like people. I got, in, yeah. I got into human services because I like the humans. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I, there's, there's always a lot of work to do and I get an enormous amount of satisfaction and it's so aligned with my purpose. Yeah, yeah, very purpose-driven. Yeah, so yeah, my entire career, if you, you know, when you, you look at my LinkedIn in terms of all the work that I've done, whether it be, I often say I've done any everything in human services except for um, working in homelessness or the housing sector or family violence sector, everything else I've done. And um, uh, I've gotten enormous amounts of, like satisfaction out of that and you know you meet some really amazing people as well and you get to hear extraordinary stories um, and you get to see people succeed above all odds um, and it's just it's really rewarding as as well it's funny I uh, now I'm going totally off topic here and I promise we will come back to coaching but when I was writing the introduction Something occurred to me when, when I was talking, you know, saying vulnerable Australians and then saying the elderly. And I think just how, you know, the difference maybe between the word elder mm. and elderly, that elder for me has a, a sense of status and gravitas and something that, that, that humans have earned throughout their life when they come into this, this final stage. And I'm I'm just curious. Do do you think we have uh, I don't know the way that we view older people could be different? Oh, absolutely. I think um, a lot of older people will, 
you know, talk about their experiences, that there's a, a point in their lives where they start to become more invisible to society. And, mm. um, and I think that's indicative of, or a symptom of our societal views around people as they age. Um, and that we do start to see them um, as more vulnerable. Um, but mm. in my experience, you know, working with um, your side's clients is that, um, you know, there's a lot to learn. There's so much story and wisdom yeah. and experience and, um, you know, adventure um, within our clients and, and continues to be despite their age. Um, mm. You know, our services are just really making sure that they can hold on to that. Um, but also be safe um, yeah. as well. So, you know, to, ho to hold on to all those elements of being human, but to do that in a way that's actually really safe. And I really appreciate and respect, you know, I, I meet with our clients regularly. I go to activities and services to have conversations and I always walk away feeling like I've, you know, I've, I've just had some incredible life lessons as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, that you know, when I'm older, I hope that I get to pass those things on to somebody as as well. Um, it's a bit of a circular um, experience, I think. But yeah, I'm sure you will, Danielle. <laughs> you, you will be leaving a legacy, no doubt. I hope so. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so so coming back to coming back to coaching, um, I suppose I'm curious as to. Uh, your approach to coaching in your career so was it something that emerged was it something that you consciously decided and and sort of when did when did it start to play I suppose a, a more important role in your career and 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 the the roles that you were performing yeah it was probably more of an emergent thing for me I think like if I think back over my career and the first time I sort of stepped into a management or a leadership position, like most people, you sort of think that being a manager is to tell and direct people and they just do mm. it. And then you obviously learn really quickly that that's not the best way to engage people. <laughs> um, and they don't always respond as well to that. But And I also felt like doubly strong about that because... My family are a military family. I'm a RAF brat, so I've grown up in that more command control environment as well. And so you do, you don't question. So going into my very first manager's job and thinking that that was the way that things were done, um, it, you know, some people kind of push back on that. <laughs> mm. um, and you had to learn really, really quickly that people don't do things because you tell them. And you needed to find other ways of which, you know, you needed to engage people. And so it kind of was an emerging thing where I realized I need to do something differently. But at the same time, then, as I've moved through various roles in my career, I've been so fortunate myself to have leaders um, who I reported to who um, themselves had that kind of style. So, for example, I had a CEO that I reported to who was a counselor by qualification and he always made time for me or all of his staff. He always made time for us. And just one-on-one, -on -one, you learnt a lot about active listening by watching him, um, by hearing the kinds of questions that he asked um, and, and his style. And I actually worked with him for almost 10 years. And so that was a really great role model to have. And I've also had really great HR managers through my career. I've been able to go to them and sort of talk through different techniques. And also for my own professional development, I've engaged with coaches myself. Um, mm. And again, you know, great role modeling. You get to see how you get to... You get to experience the benefits of coaching by engaging your own coach as well. Absolutely. And you get to feel that, you know, understand that, well, you know, at the end of the day, we all bring strengths and skills, knowledge and experience to everything that we do in our workplace. And the way to feel that autonomy and to feel really empowered and to feel like you're doing a great job often is through having a more coaching style environment because it plays mm. to your strengths and 
you know, when you play to your strengths, you feel satisfied with your role, but it also means you have autonomy and, there, and it builds trust and it creates safety as well because if you have a, if you do make judgment in something and, and there may have been an error, you know you've also got that coaching uh, model where you could go back to somebody and actually unpack all of that and what happened and, you know, what would you do differently next time? Um, so you've got that continuous improvement as well. Yeah, it goes back to um, good old Stephen Covey in the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and that seek first to understand. Yes, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And so thinking about now, I don't Okay, so I don't want to make an assumption. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going I was going to make an assumption then around uh, the industry that you work in and the amount of resources that are available, Mm -hmm. say, you know, putting managers and leaders through coaching courses, so to speak, can, I mean, that can be really costly. So I suppose my, one of my questions is around um, how you help your leadership team and, and your managers to ad- adopt a culture of coaching. It's, yeah, that's a really good question. And, and I think about coaching sits somewhere in a spectrum as well. So, you know, you can't have a, a new person start in your organization and first day you've got a coaching style with them because yeah. on first day, they're still just trying to work out, you know, where do I go and buy coffee <laughs> um, <laughs> or, where the, or where are the toilets? Um, and, you know, sitting and having a coaching style in that environment is actually not appropriate. Um, no. you, you do need a bit more of an instructional um, uh, style with um, employees who are, who are new. And coaching, I think, comes into an organization or comes into a uh, employee's life cycle a little further down the track after mm. they've sort of settled into the organization and their role. They understand all of the unwritten rules. They've got clarity on what their particular role is. Um, and you are really just in that rhythm of um, looking at how that, you know, where they're just implementing the the role and the, the objectives that they're meant to achieve and you're just reviewing yeah. that with them. So it is very situational. Um, yeah. And so in saying that, I'm really lucky where I've got a senior leadership team who have been with me, you know, on average five years. And so I have very much a coaching approach with them and Mm -hmm. they mimic that or replicate that with their staff as well. And what was interesting when I was reflecting on this particular question was that we had that style within our organization and really informally actually pre-2020 and then obviously COVID, a pandemic hit. And Mm -hmm. we had to, I remember very clearly in March of 2020 thinking about my leadership style and through a pandemic because none of us had been through a pandemic and saying this is going to be extraordinary ambiguity I don't know how long this is going to last I need to be more command control because people will be looking to me for instruction and clarity mm-hmm. not looking to me for and what would you do in this situation if <laughs> so oh yes um and so I had to revert I actually that was really interesting I had to kind of readopt um some um, skills that I had kind of squashed away for many, many years and bring those back up. And then by about 2021, 2022, we realized, and I spoke about this with my leadership team saying, um, I think how people have gotten used to that more command control. We need to, Ah. we, we now need to shift out of this because we, as an organization and as a leadership team, we can't be the go-to for everybody on everything like we were through COVID. So we need to wind out of this. And that was actually harder than what I had thought to sort of reapply that kind of coaching approach um, back into the organization, back with my immediate leadership team and then also my middle management team. And that has probably taken two years. Um, And sort of, you know, having really open conversations with people around what we need out of them and that, excuse me, there's a different style. 
asking yeah. a lot of more open-ended questions, what, how, rather than why questions, um, talking through um, things that occurred and identifying, isn't that a great learning moment? Let's use that opportunity as a bit of a learning opportunity. Um, and doing and, and in an environment where we were still hybrid as well. So then really intentionally bringing people back together to be face-to-face -to, -face to, to build um, those mechanisms. So I think the answer to that question is that it, it's an ongoing, um, you know, intention within the organisation. Yeah. I don't think it will, I don't think it's something you put in place and you set and forget. And, and just listening to you then reminds me, and it's something I... I um ran a, a webinar this week and, and we were talking about we were talking about firefighting and mm. um, reacting to problems a lot rather than stopping and looking at creating outcomes and it was around the you know but but when when I'm the go-to person it makes me feel good I'm I'm the hero yeah I'm getting little hits of dopamine and and when I'm able to problem solve, I can demonstrate that I know the answer. And I suppose that sort of leads into uh, my question around uh, one's preferred management and leadership style and encouraging someone. Say, say you have someone who, and, and initially I'd sort of, I was thinking extroverted, but it's not even that. It's someone who loves to give the answer, who loves to... Uh, and, and even not always because they're they're short of time, but they it's their natural. They have a natural propensity to want to problem solve, and I'm wondering if you've ever had any any situations like that where you've had to help someone with that natural propensity to see the benefits of moving over to more of a a, a coaching listening approach. Yeah, there's probably, there's two elements to that for me, um, listening to that scenario, is that um, there will all be, always be situations in the organisation where an issue happens and you've got to go into some level of sort of emergency reaction to resolve it because mm -hmm. the, it, it's, it's urgent, it's important and the consequences of not addressing it could be, you know, significant. Um, in my, in, with my team and they often laugh at me if they come to me and sort of say hey this has happened I talk to them going okay the horse is in the hole first thing we're going to do is get the horse out of the hole and then the second thing <laughs> the second thing we're going to do is work out how the horse got in the hole and so now they'll, they'll come to me and go the horse is in the hole <laughs> um, and you know I, I, we, but we work, we've been working long enough now that they will sort of say hey this is how I think the horse got in the hole so the very simple reaction of sort of saying let's get the horse out of the hole and then yeah. we'll work out how the horse got in the hole yeah. sets the expectation of we're not going to just problem solve and then put a full stop to that and move on to the next thing the the issue is also around continuous improvement and learning what we needed to do. And so we've built that cycle within the organisation um, all the time as well. The other thing is that um, I used to teach problems um, at university and I love it because humans, when they get given a problem, straight away want to solve it. and. It, as you said, it makes them feel good. It makes them feel purposeful. It's an immediate, um, you know, patch over an issue and they get to move on. But often we also know that that issue re-emerges either exactly the same way or in some other form. And mm. that's largely because um, we're very good at throwing solutions at things, but we're actually very bad at defining what the problem is. Yeah. So whenever I have a staff member who will say, oh, we're going to do this, I always say, let's stop. Let's just take a moment and really think about what has happened and how that occurred mm. and then um, and not jump to solutions. Let's not jump to any action. It's okay to take a pause and just think about that. And then what we'll start to do is have conversations around, and I often use the um, fishbone diagram or the Ishikawa diagram yeah. um, to sort of say, let's now reflect on, you know, the different elements that may have contributed. 
and that might help us first inform the pro like define what that problem is so just creating a culture within the organization of like let's just stop it's okay it's you have permission to take a beat and um, think about it because we when we solve it we don't want to have to actually come back to it again the other thing is from a leadership perspective i would say um, and i'm in the services industry and mm -hmm. in the context of what my work is is that we go into people's homes and deliver a, le a level of care there is no supervisor with that person they are independent and alone in someone's home with um, other people in that home and so their work environment is varied every single day and it yeah. can be incredibly unpredictable every single day if an issue arises it is not in the client's best interest to have a big bureaucracy sitting behind that what i need is that the support worker who is in the home is is confident and capable to make a judgment and act on yeah. that judgment because a bureaucracy for decisions or actions sitting behind that can actually be unsafe for the client and the worker. So I need people who are able to kind of make judgments on the spot and that creates a much better service. Absolutely, oh my goodness. There's so much in just that little bit that you shared with me. I love that horses in the hole analogy. And, and you just reminded me of, I remember um, when I left corporate and sort of in between I was working for a, a team building company and we were actually running a team building event and the proverbial hit the fan. Mm. And I was expecting the manager to come and, and just say to me, you know, how, how, how did that happen? Why did that happen? And he said, look, let's just fix it and it wasn't until a couple of days later that we did the debrief yeah and it and i just i was able to think more clearly to to fix whatever we could fix at the time and and i love that separation and also the the stepping back and saying what's the problem that we're trying to solve yeah the real problem Absolutely, because people kind of jump to the thing that they know. And I get that because that's what they know or that's what they're good at. And, and you know, in today's world, most issues are multifactorial. Like there's not yeah. just a single cause, but often people try to apply a singular solution. Hmm. And, you know, we just, we live in a really complex world. So it's sort of going, I hear that. Thank you let's just stop and continue to reflect. I'm a reflector by nature, but I do appreciate there are people who are more super person and want to come in and, and save it. Um, and you just sort of have to give pause to that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when um, uh, sometimes running um, leader as coach programs and we we go through all the, the, the foundations of, of you know, open questions and probing questions and all the different question styles. And then they're in a scenario where they're coaching with each other. And and the the, the ones with the natural propensity to, to problem solve is when they come up with what we call quagestions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're so desperate to... To, to, and, and the intention is, is so positive. The intention is to help. And it's like, so what, what would you think about, you know, yeah. solution A? Is, and, and then you can see the body language of the other person say, thinking, don't you think I haven't tried, tried that? that? <laughs> <laughs> and and that's, the, the, that's the key of coaching, isn't it? Because it's about drawing on... It's, it's, it's actually not about the coach giving, it's about the coach drawing out. Yeah. Um, and, the, and you know, the person that you're talking with, they've come to that space with experience and wisdom and knowledge and a whole range of skills and a whole background that the coach themselves don't have. And so you're, yes. really, you're really sort of leaning in and drawing out those strengths from the individual because the answer is actually in them somewhere. And mm. it's having that conversation where that, they're able to synthesize the answer within themselves and then articulate it. 
Um, and it's that's so much more powerful. It's incredibly empowering for the individual and it builds confidence. So then the next time an issue arises for that individual, they've got that experience and that kind of lived experience to go, I know what to do. I've done yeah. this before and I have confidence to do something and I will tell my manager what I have done. And that then frees the manager up, you know, or the leader up and gives them capacity to work in other areas um, and, you know, and builds an enormous amount of trust. And you've actually just, you've just answered the question I was going to ask, and I'm still thinking about asking it anyway, mm -hmm. and it's around the whole, you know, at the moment, exactly what you were saying about how leadership now is so complex, we can't know all the answers, problems are multifaceted, there's, there's so much pressure on leaders now to balance performing and, and leading people. And I, I was just curious about, but you've already given me the benefits, but still curious about when someone pushes back and says that all sounds great but I don't have the time I don't have the capacity maybe the cognitive capacity to do this um have you been faced with that yourself or what are you experiencing maybe and, and maybe it's not with your own leaders because they have that coaching culture but I'm just curious as to your your viewpoint on that Danielle yeah I have been faced with it and, and I don't think it's a an, uh, an issue that will ever go away because mm. um, you know organizations in today's world are doing more with less and mm. and because things are becoming much more complicated and organizations operate in more relational matrix ways. Um, there's always demands on people for more yeah. and often not as many resources attributed to that. And I certainly get that in in aged care, in the care sector at the moment, we've had you know several um, royal commissions and governments are putting in place increased regulation. There's no additional funding for that. So we absorb that into our operational delivery costs, which means we're asking people to do more with, with the same level of resources that they mm. had. And I, you know, if people come to me, I, I often, my, my role as, as the CEO and the leader is often to look for where there are sort of resource stretches within the organization like where we don't have capacity and at times mm -hmm. have to renegotiate deadlines and priorities and things like that either directly with them or on their behalf with the board or with our funder um, but the other thing I'm uh, which I'm doing a lot more of particularly over this past year is looking for cognitive overload and looking yeah. as to where I can actually relieve that cognitive overload for people and there's might be element and, and I feel like coaching actually helps relieve some of that cognitive overload. So to your question, I don't have capacity to be able to do that. Some of that is because of cognitive overload. I can't, mm. I don't, I'm so overwhelmed by all these other things. I can't think of a pathway forward. There's no clarity or there's no framework, let alone actual time. Um, and so coaching, I think, is a really good tool to use to manage some of that cognitive overload for people yeah. where you can, you know, busy people have very full minds and so you can pull out some of that crowd in them mm -hmm. and, then, and then start to look at, you know, the practicalities about, well, you know, what, what are the priorities that are on your plate, um, what... Other, you know what are the items that you're working on that you know what's what's the demand there how could you utilize further resources within your sphere those sorts of things and get people to think about other other areas I mm. I have I have one particular um, member of my team who likes to control everything and yeah. not let it go and it's been a very long journey around 
you know, having conversations around other people within their sphere. Could they delegate a little bit more? What prevents them from delegating? How do you build depth of strength in your team? You know, to use military terms, you know, you always have depth of strength in order to, over a longer period of time, also create that capacity and reduce that cognitive overload. Yeah, absolutely. And what I'm now thinking then is, what do you see as some, uh, we've talked about some of them, but I'm curious if there's any more that, that you see and, and maybe from your previous organisations that you've led and you've worked in as well. What do you see as some of the, the barriers to creating a coaching culture? Because some of the organisations that I work in, there is very very little a coaching culture it's still command and control and each time I surprise myself because I'm thinking hang on a minute it's 2023 why are we still operating in that way and I'm just curious from your perspective what you see as uh, as potential barriers because we know the benefits yeah exactly I am I think some organizations have you know some of it could be the environment or the market that they actually operate in highly regulated environments often create a more command control environment Hmm. and that's often because you know there's an external regulator and you're always under constant scrutiny and you don't want to be called out under that scrutiny so people make things very very specific and what that ends up creating is a culture of learned helplessness. So you end up having yeah. a workforce that sort of says, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. You tell me because the culture or the environment out around here is if it's not is to just follow the workflow or the process or the policy. And if that's not if this situation is not in the policy workflow or process, or then someone else has to tell me. Mm. I feel like learned helplessness is probably the biggest, most profound barrier um, to to building a coaching environment because people are just comfortable in the just tell me what to do and I'll do that. I I think a low morale within an organisation would also be a barrier um, because coaching does require work from both individuals within yeah. within the context obviously one from the coach to give time space and um cognitive capacity to listening to somebody guiding and asking questions but equally the coachee is going to get work out of that um that interaction or that space or they're going to have to commit to a decision or recommendation that they've made or to an action that they're proposing and so it's it's not sort of come together let's chew the fat for an hour or what or whatnot it's let's come together chew the fat and walk out of here with you know the coach has to walk in prepared the coachee needs to walk in prepared and the coachee is going to walk out with some activity as well so if they're not creating space within their work uh, schedule for that, that can also actually be a barrier. And they need to be mm. committed to that energy um, that's required. Absolutely. This this is gold. Thank you. I, wa- I want to go back to something that you were saying around, you know, as, as an industry, you have been through so much change. And I, I'm curious as to your thoughts on when you do have a strong coaching culture, how that can facilitate um, managing change? Uh, I think it creates a much more collaborative environment because what it sets up, I think what coaching sets up at an individual level is me as the coachee or the coached, I knows that I have responsibility and ownership in this place. Um, and in this role. So when big changes do happen within organizations or industries and in aged care and disability, we have been on, you know, a 10 to 15 year journey of constant change. Mm. Um, it means that each of us understand that we have, that we own and have a responsibility in terms of how we drive that change. 
And, and collectively, it means we understand that we are all responsible for it. Yeah. Um, and I th- that creates great cohesion. But at the same time, it creates great collegiate relationships because it says that I'm not alone and you know, my um, senior leadership team, we we move together at the same rhythm and with each other. And so we're actually alongside of each other. Mm. And then our middle leadership team then know that that rhythm's coming. They can expect that. They know what that is. And they know we all speak the same thing. Um, and they, they are able to move to that rhythm as well. Um, if... If it was command control um, or that more directional style, then, you know, everybody would be sitting there waiting for me to work out what to do and then just distribute the task and then they would do their task. But if the task failed, it would have to come back up to me to redefine or redistribute and then move back down through the organisation. And if that failed, it would have to come back up and it would just be inefficient and ineffectual but Mm. when we work and walk together um, and we know that we have a responsibility but we also have confidence not just in ourselves but in each other um, in terms of what our strengths are what our skills are and you know um, what we've been through and what we can do and how to do it um, and our judgments we trust our judgments like I trust my team's judgment. They trust each other's judgment. Mm. Um, we don't always agree. We, we still have very active debate, but we understand how we each get to our judgment um, and we have confidence that there has been rigor in it. I, I love how you talk about the rhythm. Mm. That's so important. And you, you, you know, as a team, when you have that, when you've achieved that and when you can have that, healthy dissent that that you know healthy uh, healthy active debate yeah and listening to just listening to that bit there and again i'm asking questions that aren't on the the original questions that i sent you but i'm curious to to get your input on i suppose on coaching styles in a way because i look you know i yes i've done a coaching qualification but actually it was the sort of 16 years leading people and and, and coaching people where I think I got the, the best uh, qualification and for, for some people it was it was a real mixture of, of coaching and mentoring and like yeah. please actually I really do need the answer I really do need you to share your experience with me of what you did um, so uh, Firstly, I'd be curious, what's your preferred coaching style as in being coached? And secondly, yeah, what are your thoughts on finding that sweet spot for a coachee? Yeah, that's a good question. I've, I've had several coaches in my career and um, there's one coach I always go back to um, and have mm. been going back to now probably 12 13 years other coaches i've tried and just you know some of it is that there's just not a connection or a a dynamic between the two of us and you know i remember one coach i I engaged and i've got a career in human services largely in not-for-profits and and this coach came from corporates and at the time Mm -hmm. i thought oh yes getting more of a corporate coach would be really good for me because they will kind of challenge this not-for-profit status quo and they just didn't get me and I just didn't get them and you know they would be asking questions I was like I don't understand where you're coming from and they were really analytical I'm I'm much more emotional and we just did not connect it was it just did not work at all and and I I was walking out feeling really frustrated and I'm sure they were feeling really frustrated Mm. too so um, my advice, like in that scenario, in hindsight, you know, I, pro- I wish I had called it earlier. I wish I sort of went, hey, I don't think this is actually working. I actually persisted mm. and they probably did too. Um, but I wish I had, had actually called it. But the coach that I do tend to always go back to, and it, and it doesn't matter which stage in my career, I always say that is the person that I want to go. They, they've just got such a good style. 
she knows she she's got this great mix of storytelling so you know she gives you space you know what's what's on your mind type of opening questions you know you, you give a scenario this is this is what's happening and i need i'm, I'm thinking about you know a situation and how to handle it and she will just continue to ask questions and then and then there'll be a moment where she'll start telling a story and often the the juicy bits in the story for me mm-hmm. because then I'm like oh I've got a story just like that and I'm relating to that story yeah. and then yeah. I'm digging into my own experience about hang on what did I do in that scenario before and uh, so she's kind of connecting into my history and my experience by her storytelling and I'm able to go back and think, what did I do there? What did I learn from that? How would I have done that differently? What what did I succeed in when I did that? Um, and can I replicate that and how do I make that apply in this situation? So I've really loved the storytelling component. Not all coaches are like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also has been helpful because then I have felt like I've gotten to know her on a peer-to-peer level um, and therefore she's not a trainer or, yes. or she's not a... It's, it, some people say, well, isn't that mentoring, Danielle? And I think, no, because mentoring has implies a power imbalance um, yeah. or the mentor has an authority over the mentee. Um, but the storytelling creates a relationship. So I felt that it was peer-to-peer and that's probably more for me, more coach-to-coachy. I love that. And I think that's, uh, and, and quite often that's what I will try and do in terms of um, if I want to get something across to share a story about something that happened to me that where those seeds of learning are embedded in my story but it's not their story yes so yeah yeah that that's exactly right and I have tried and look I, I've I've tried that style um at times um in my workplace and at times that's worked really well and at times I know the person I'm talking with is just not it's not landing it's not getting yeah. it um and it actually you know, I also like to tell stories about where I failed in things because I think sometimes the richness is in that. Um, and I remember I had a period where I was doing that a lot with a particular person in my organisation. And then there was a, I did a 360-degree feedback survey. Um, I had a 360-degree feedback survey. And one of the comments or feedback that came in was, she talks a lot about her other experience and I don't think it's relevant here. <laughs> <laughs> and And I thought... Oh, act, I thought I was being helpful. Obviously, that was infuriating them. Um, and so I had to be really conscious then <laughs> to kind of pull I that back. I love that. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. 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 And suppose, yeah, let's, let's check in more. Let's, yeah. You know, how, how is this landing with you? That, that's exactly right. I th- and, you know, probably similar to what we talked about earlier on in the session, I thought I was doing this great thing and I was being really helpful and I'm sharing all these things. And, and, and that was because, yeah, stories helped me, but it actually wasn't helping that person at all. <laughs> but, you know, you started off talking about situational leadership yes. and, and it's very much situational coaching, isn't it? Absolutely. And as you said, you know, the thing out of that would have been checking in, would have been how are, you know, how, is, how are these conversations going for you? Um, how does my experience and the stories I tell actually be helpful? Um, mm. And, you know, giving that person an opportunity to say, they're actually not, they're frustrating, can you stop and just, you know, let me, let me work through it. So, it, it was it was a lesson. I had to unwind that experience <laughs> to sort of say, you know, stop. Don't. I, I know you've got a story. Stop the story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> um, so so coming back to your side, um, and 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 linking to the benefits that you that you mentioned earlier. What are some of the areas of growth that you've seen? What are some of the tangible benefits that you've experienced from operating with a coaching culture? I think the the biggest thing is confidence by mm. in, within that within the person um, or in the people. And as we talked about situational when 
you know, very early on um, in building that relationship with somebody, it's not that people lack confidence, but they might be uncertain. Yeah. And, you know, coaching is also setting an expectation around this is the way we do things around here. And that means Mm. you have the authority, you have permission, um, I trust your judgment, I respect that you bring to this place your strengths, skills, your experience and wisdom. And my role is to help draw that out of you, not tell you. And, you know, seeing people come through who might be uncertain at the beginning and then building confidence to a point where, you know, the conversations are probably less coaching and more they're turning up and going, right, had this problem, this is what happened, this is what I did, do you know what I mean? And and you get to go, wow, that was great. I And I didn't know about that and you've handled it really well and you've got some really great suggestions um, and strategies that you put in place which then for me as the CEO actually gives me that mental capacity to be focused on other areas that I'm meant to be focusing on which is in the strategy space or the innovation space or the entrepreneurial space or the stakeholder management space um, because I'm not in the everyday operational um, let's put out fire space. So I've, it's, it's changed the way we operate and the way and the rhythm of which we offer, operate and builds capacity to do those other things that as CEOs or leaders, we always complain that we never have, never have enough time to do. Yeah. So I also just, and I just also love to see people build confidence because they've got increased autonomy. And, you know, I think was the, the um, some of the the greatest motivators in the workplace one of them is autonomy yeah and that's how you build good morale is that people feel autonomous in the role because they feel respected and they feel trusted Um, and you know at the end of the day we we go through this whole selection process to recruit somebody because they bring a set of skills knowledge and experience and then why would we then start telling them how to do their job? Absolutely. Um, so to create a sense of um, autonomy, an individual having autonomy and feeling really empowered in their role. Yeah. And, as, and as I said, you know, we at times can, I mean, everybody faces complex matters within um, their workplace. But there are times when my team are making judgments on really serious matters around um you know a a client may be presenting as unwell not unwell enough that an ambulance has to come immediately but then but we have to monitor them but we're not clinicians and so we have to make judgments or we may we may turn up at somebody's home and the person's had a fall and you know we need to make judgments around how to make that physical space safe for them um what's the medical intervention that's actually required so you know i need people to be autonomous in their judgments um, because that's in the best interest of the client I love what you've just said because, and this is what I thrived on in my career when leading people because when we, when we can enable, when we can empower, when we can really delegate and not offload, the skills that they're building, they're, they're building their own skills in change management, in decision making, in problem solving, in prioritizing. Yeah. Which exa- it's a win-win-win, exactly what you were saying, which then frees you up to, to work strategically. And, and, it, and it's so fulfilling. And, and for example, when in, in the organizations that I was working in, we didn't have you know, levels of promotion where you could get a new job title and you could get a salary increase. Yeah. But when you were able to build your skill base... And, and yeah, and have people come and say to you, look, I, I know you want me to offer you a solution. We, I've, I get that now. Uh, this is what I've done. This is what I'm thinking of doing, what have you. It just, it just feels so good. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yes, we all do a job uh, to get paid. We obviously need a roof over our head. We need to eat. Um, but people do want to also feel productive and purposeful. Yeah. And, and, you know, I always say... People come to work because they want to do a good job. So create an environment where people can do a good job. Um, And part of that is them feeling like they have been productive and purposeful 
um, in their role as well. And, and the other thing you know, we were talking about not having the levels of hierarchy is that we also can't be all things to all people as a single person, as a yeah. leader. And, and we are all of our energy is finite and the organization can only grow and be capable to the finite capability of its leader yeah. if the leader does everything. So we always need, if we had the best, the intention, the best intentions of an organization at the heart of everything, and for a not-for-profit, I find this is very easy because we are a purpose-led organization, yeah. is it must sustain beyond me. I just sit in a seat for this, for this particular period of time. But there will be a period of time when someone else is better in this seat. And, I, and that might be, you know, someone else from within the organisation. Or there might be a time where I just can't be there. Yeah. And I need, the organisation deserves somebody who can step into that role and continue to run that the way it needs to be run with minimal disruption because um, our clients need to be assured that they continue to receive good quality care. So I have so coaching for me also builds in capability for succession planning. Yeah. Um, or what or a redundancy plan if something happened to me. Um, mm. uh, or you know, there might be a point in time where I sort of say, I'm not the CEO to take the business forward on its next strategic direction yeah. because there's a different skill set that's needed. Um, then the organisation can continue to run. It's bigger than me. Oh, Danielle, there, there is such wisdom in this conversation. It has been purposeful. It's been productive. It's been enlightening. It's been courageously vulnerable. I'm so grateful for you investing the time to share this and I think that so many people will get real tangible concrete benefit from this and it will be so thought-provoking it's thinking okay how do I create a coaching culture in my organization thank you so much thank you for the opportunity it's, it's been great to sort of reflect and and then get to talk about it <laughs> and um, yes I will I'm definitely have you back at some stage because we there were so many topics there that we was. wanted to cover <laughs> that's right but until then danielle go well thank you once more thank thank you claire i really appreciate the time thanks for listening and we hope that this conversation provided the insights and inspiration that you were looking for we're on a mission to get the key messages about modern day leadership out to as many people as possible. So look, if you do listen regularly or enjoyed any of the episodes, please head over to your regular podcast platform, subscribe and give us a positive review. You can also find Authentic Leadership on YouTube on the Being Brain Smart channel. And before you go... If you'd like to know what I do when I'm not interviewing amazing guests, I facilitate, train, speak and coach on the neuroscience of leadership and change. To find out more, head over to the BrainSmart website. That's brain-smart.com to find out more about some of our programs or email me. That's Claire, C-L-A-R-E at brain-smart.com. Go well, and thanks again for listening.